Hi, I'm Paul Strack, and I, along with Mark Fortune, want to welcome you to our latest episode of Slow to Respond. During this time, we will explore the good, the bad, and yes, sometimes the ugly of what it takes to successfully market small businesses. We will look at the unusual or even the absurd ways we small business owners promote our services and products. And when it's all over, we hope you will have some takeaway tips and maybe even a laugh or two, even if you are laughing at us. In each episode, we will take a lighthearted look at marketing efforts that for one reason or another may cause the intended audience to be slow to respond. Hey, Paul, how did dolphins and whales pass down and share knowledge through the generations? Well, via podcasts, naturally. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That's our, our podcast marketing joke of the week. There you go. Thank you. Can you can credit Paul Strack for the, uh, the, the comic genius behind yes, that. Yes, that and Google search. Thank you for well, that. Hey, you know. <laughs> you have to know the search terms to use. So. Yeah. All right, so this is the first episode of the Slow to Respond podcast, and uh, I'm Mark Fortune, and my colleague with me here is Paul Strack, and we'll use this episode to introduce ourselves a little bit and talk a little bit about what this podcast is going to be about and hopefully help you guys figure out your small business marketing challenges some. But uh, let's start with our favorite subjects, us. So, us. Yeah, we love that. <laughs> and we said in advance. Dying to hear who we are. We've right? said this in advance. We'll keep this under two hours. So this, yeah. this will be a challenge by both of us. But. Yeah. All right, Paul. Let's do a little background on you. So tell, tell me a little bit. Tell our listeners a little bit about uh, who you are, where you came from, your professional background especially. So before I became interested and involved in all things marketing, I was a CPA, believe it or not. I was with Ernst & Young Accounting Firm in Little Rock, and after five years of ticking and tying and auditing, I said, well, that's fun, but let's try something else. And I decided to join my family's printing company, custom printing company at the time, and this was in 1990. I started out in sales there, and then over the years, probably just because of what I was interested in. I, I, I did grow the business in sales, but I always had a marketing bent to me, if you will. And eventually, mom and dad got more removed from the business. I got more involved in the business, took over the business, and uh, kind of positioned the business. While we are still a printing company, we are now more of a full-service marketing services provider. Um, we've changed over the years from offset printing to digital printing, and then as technology changed and as the internet drove some print away, we had to change the services we offered. So in addition to print, uh, we've included promotional products, we've included signs and banners, and we even have included some digital marketing products. Um, Now we are Custom XM, changed the name back in the 2008-2009 to Custom XM, the XM at that time stood for cross-media. Um, it could be extreme marketing. During the pandemic, when we started uh, decorating and selling face masks, I think it stood for extra masks because <laughs> uh, we did so many of that. So what we do now, again, we have re- recently relocated to the heart of the Argenta Arts District at 7th and Main in North Little Rock, offering full-service marketing services that do include printing, We do include signs and banners, heavy on the promotional products, but all of those, I would say the biggest shift now is we tie in these products and services with full-fledged marketing campaigns for our clients. 
cool. That's great. And uh, I'll give you a chance to to give a little plug. I saw there was a story this week. Of, you got featured in about how printing companies have responded during the pandemic. You want to talk about yeah, that a little I, bit? Yeah, I guess there was a demand by the public wanting to know what did printers do during this time? I mean, of course, does the public even know printing companies still exist? But of those that know that, those were the ones uh, saying what we did. So, yeah, uh, Arkansas Money and Politics reached out and said, how did you survive or what did you do to transition? So it, it was a nice feature, and I think the, the biggest takeaway from that like so many businesses during this past year, we were all affected by it. We all had a severe decline in sales. We all had to adjust and to use that term pivot um, from what we were used to offering to new products, new services. And probably one of the biggest takeaways from that or the changes is how we've really, over the past year, ramped up more of our e-commerce and online offerings and becoming more adept at handling online transactions, handling payments online. That's being a commercial entity. That wasn't really something we had to worry about a whole lot. But that forced us to do that, and I think that's a good thing. Uh, changed our product mix a little bit. We are now offering more uh, B2C products rather than fully uh, B2B products. So as I said in the uh, and when I posted that article, it, it, it wasn't the best of times and it wasn't the worst of times, but it, <laughs> it was challenging times and it made us all change. And I think the changes were good for us. Cool. Awesome. Well, that's but great. But enough about me. <laughs> tell yeah, us, let's talk about me. Tell us about the man, Mark Fortune, behind Fortune Marketing. <laughs> well, first and foremost, because I was asked this recently, uh, Fortune is not a stage name. That really is my last name. <laughs> Um, I, would, I never think about that because, I mean, it's been my name as long as I've been around. But, and people are like, that can't be your real name. I'm like, there's no reason for me to have a pseudonym. I promise you. <laughs> Fortune is my last name. Um, yeah, so I, I got into small business marketing through a, a very, very traditional route that everybody follows. I went and got a history degree at a liberal arts college. <laughs> that's, um, yeah, that's what if you look back at all the marketing gurus, if you will, I hate yeah. that term, but that's it starts with a history degree. So, yeah, so I did. I uh, my yeah. So my my undergrad education is in history. For all of my clients who are listening, don't worry, I have an MBA too. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I it's somewhere along. The end of my undergrad career, I realized I was done with school and there's not a big market for freelance historians out there. So I had to, you know, get a job. And, the same uh, people that want to read about the history of printing companies, I yeah. would assume. <laughs> yeah. So I, I was smart enough to do some internships in college and that kind of got me into the business world. I'm from a small business ownership family, just like you, Paul. My dad was um, grandfather and my dad had a, a small business. They were, um, well, they were beer wholesalers for, um, 70 some odd years in Northeast and North Central Arkansas, Newport and Mountain Home areas. So I grew up in a small business. I knew, you know, had some familiarity with how small businesses worked. I, but the first 20 years of my career were big corporations, right? I worked for, um, Altel for a number of years, which was, Arkansas folks will remember um, wireless carrier that is now got eventually got acquired into being a part of Verizon, um, and then I worked for a company called Axiom for about eleven years, which was a big um, data and database processing and database solutions marketing firm that's you know basically built large marketing databases for all the biggest brands you can think of: credit card marketers, um, car marketers, 
um, travel marketers, companies like Disney, things like that. And now, of course, have transitioned a lot of what they do into the digital world. Um, but for the past 10 years, I, I left Axiom and joined a small company um, as their director of sales and marketing that did data and software products. Um, and seven years ago, opened my own shop, decided if I was going to ever try the entrepreneur thing, it wasn't going to get easier um, as I got older and my kids got older. So, you know, why not scare my wife to death and start my own business without really <laughs> telling her what I was doing? Own. Yeah, exactly. That's, so what, what strikes me, what strikes me is interesting in that, a lot of it is, but what I didn't know till you mentioned that and, and knowing what I know about you now is that you had inroads to the beer industry and you got out. This, <laughs> this concerns me. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a... Uh, um, uh, it'd be a fun episode to have my dad talk about that on here. I sometime. bet. I bet. Um, the 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 fact of the matter is, and you can sort of see how it's playing out now. Back then, so at that time, this would have been late eighties, early early nineties. Um, if you weren't Budweiser in the U.S., you really struggled because you didn't have market. You know, Budweiser had 55 percent market share, and right. you know, from a domestic brand standpoint, Miller and Coors fought over the rest, really, for the most part. And Dad was a Coors distributor, mostly other brands, but mainly Coors. Um, and in areas of Arkansas that weren't high growth areas, right? I mean, it wasn't. These were stable areas, but not growing. So the market was just not getting any bigger, and that just. It, and a lot of small businesses face this when consolidation happens. They were either going to buy, buy or get bought. Get that's, bought, yeah. That's the only thing you're going to do, right? You're either going to to continue to stay in business and grow. You're going to have to buy that growth by buying other companies, or you're going to decide we're not going to and get bought by somebody else. And they chose that route, which was fine. Um, at the time, you know, I was still on the freelance historian path, so <laughs> it wasn't really a. <laughs> You know, it's funny. It's a, this would be another great episode talking about family businesses and generations. Mine was more of the type that my parents didn't want me in that business, right? There's some families that like, that's just what you do. Mine, it was more, they would never actively discourage me from it, but it was never a, oh, your birthright is to somehow get into this business someday. It was more of a, no, carve your own path and do your own thing. So oh, it just, wasn't anything personal directed towards you. They didn't want. To well, it might have been. They just never told me. <laughs> they just didn't. No, and that's 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 true. There, there are some there are some family businesses that do that. Um, yeah, ours. You know, mom and dad had five kids, and growing up, my oldest brother was involved probably more than any of the five of us in the family business. He actually was the only one that learned how to uh, run some of the printing presses. I cleaned the place up and delivered and all that, but I never learned how to work, operate any of the machinery per se at that time. So, you know, it seemed like he would have been a more natural fit for that. They never discouraged us, but they never put any pressure on us to to join the business. And when it was time for me to leave public accounting, I said, hey, I'm looking at FedEx in Memphis. I'm looking at this. What about, is there an opportunity with you? And they said, well, we, we could certainly use an avenue or way to grow our sales. And so that's what it is. If you want to come and be a salesperson, then that's where you start. So, yeah. And I, I mean, had I pressed it, I think we probably could have made that happen. I think the, as it turns out, I'm really glad that I didn't for a variety of reasons. And my dad is too, because the jumping forward 30 years, I mean, the beer market today is completely fractured in terms of brands because there's all of the micro brews oh, and yeah. frankly beer consumption is declining in the united states for like the first time in history as other beverages are taking off you know li uh, liquor sales are up 
even pre-pandemic liquor consumption was up and um, seltzer waters, like all the flavored seltzers and all that sort of thing. So traditional beer sales and beer consumption levels are down in the United States. And if you weren't in a, this was a wholesale business. So you had to define territory. If your defined territory was not in a demographically advantageous growing type of market, you were going to struggle. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and we were in, like I said, we were in ones that were very sort of just treading water. Um, so you're either going to, if you're going to grow and continue to grow a business to support families, you know, you're going to have to buy that growth. And right. so it, right. dad, my, 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 um, my dad's nephew, my cousin was involved in the business with him and they made a very smart decision to sell when they did. And of course they sell, they sold to a company that was acquiring a bunch of them. So they had enough scale to really make it work. Um, Dad, dad and my cousin, you know, were we to get involved, we'd had to go borrow a bunch of money and start trying to do that. So it 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 worked out really well. They made a, a smart decision to to exit when they did. Plus, here's a tidbit about the beer business you may not know. So much of it now is completely um, uh, sales. The retail sales are in the big box stores, right? Sam's Club, Costco, Walmart, the grocery stores, that sort of thing. And they very much would like to. Uh, if they could eliminate the distributor tier, right? Cause it's just another tier of pricing that yeah, is in there, right, right. Um, which really puts the squeeze on the distributor. So, you know, it's a, if you've got scale, it's a, it's a really, really good business. It can be a really, really good business, but it's vastly different than when my dad was in it for most of his career. Yeah. I can imagine. And, and, you know, it's another thing we'll talk about is how businesses have to adapt and have to change with the market environment and, and the, Outside environment, um, we're yeah. all subject to it. Which brings me to my next question to you. As a advisor to small businesses in their marketing, what did you see in this past year of the pandemic, the biggest impact you had or how you had to change in your offering and how you consulted your clients? Yeah, so um, even pre-pandemic, probably 90% of what we do is digital marketing services for small businesses. So to a large extent, what we were doing is what we were still doing, right? I mean, that it became, if, if anything, I did have some clients that were like, oh, now we really need to double down on search engine optimization or social media marketing because, you know, and another factor into it was that some of them had more time than they had had in the past to work with me on, okay, here's how we're really going to push this forward, right? Um, so that was a lot of it. I, I, you know, I had a couple of clients who were in the travel business and, you know, their business all but dried up for the better part of a year. So they really had to think through things a little different and we had to adjust things for them. But I, my business has grown through all this. I've got more new clients than I had pre-pandemic. And I think a lot of that was because business owners took a good hard look at what they were doing, what was working, what wasn't working, how, what were they spending, were they getting a return on that spend and looked for new solutions to figure some of that out. Whereas a lot of times marketing can kind of be on a back, a back burner for a small business and they just they get focused on operations issues and finance issues and customer service issues. And marketing tends to be the thing that the business owner thinks about at nine o'clock on Sunday night. Um, well, in the pandemic, 24 seven was nine o'clock Sunday night. Right. If you had to be locked in at home and locked down and doing your thing, you had time to sort of ponder what was going, which has turned out to be an opportunity for us to really help some businesses out. Yeah, you know, I would agree. And I think, as I have seen in typical recessionary downturns, again, marketing is the first thing people cut back on, which makes no sense at all, you know. 
But with this, as you pointed out, it makes you rethink everything in our own business because of the downturn economically and then our physical relocation where we were going from 10,000 square feet to 2,500 square feet. We had to rethink logistically, the physical layout, and all sorts of efficiencies. And I think a drastic change like that does make you better. It makes you stronger and you rethink your marketing and you want to become more efficient in your marketing. You realize you can't survive without it, um, but you have to become better at it. And I think that's part of the underlying reason, which we'll get into here shortly, is why you and I wanted to address this podcast and, and talk about not only the services we offer, but observations we see and how people use correctly or incorrectly the marketing available to them. Right. And, you know, I think it's, it's it's important to point out, and I saw this with a lot of businesses, but you've got a couple of really good examples that you should share on. I'm teeing this softball up for you here, Paul, so get ready to hit it. Um, <laughs> of having to get very creative and very innovative during the pandemic and doing either doing things just, you know, somewhat altruistically out of the goodness of your heart, but also to keep your name and your brand in front of customers while all this was happening. Um, when the world changed, you know, so quickly and everything shut down, you know, talk about the, the two things I'm thinking of. You may have more. I'm thinking of your the restaurant sign program. I know you guys did the uh, stay at home kit things. I know you guys did. And then, well, you started a new line of business getting into the, the mask thing. So talk a little bit about, you know, the creativity behind, you know, sort of being forced to figure something new out in the middle of something like this. Yeah. When when the press is stop running and the phone calls stop coming in <laughs> you see your revenue stream come to a halt you gotta you gotta think of something to do and, and while part of it was as you said a little bit altruistic a part of it was self-serving so that I could keep my staff employed and and doing something worthwhile and so one of the first things we did uh, again kudos to my son Mike who helps on the marketing side is we thought people are at home they're quarantined. They're not getting out. They need to do something to entertain them. And so we came up with this idea of these boar buster kits that included uh, books of puzzles, homemade, not homemade, we made them, uh, playing cards, uh, eyeglasses, the, the, blue, the blue light blocker eyeglasses, you know, to reduce the eye strain and postcards that we put in a packet and said, call it a boar buster kit. Order it for 25 bucks or whatever we sold it for. And for every order, we'll donate a portion of the proceeds to the Arkansas Food Bank. And it was a limited success. It wasn't huge. We didn't sell thousands of them, but we did sell enough to, again, keep our equipment running, keep our folks working. And the part I was most proud of that, we were able to donate $1,000 to the Arkansas Food Bank. Right. The other thing you mentioned was um, with the restaurants. Again, restaurants were hit as hard, if not harder than anybody. They shut down, and we thought, gosh, what can we do to help people need to get out. People have to eat. People have to know these restaurants are open. The restaurants started offering this curbside service. The restaurants, while they were physically closed, were not allowing patrons in. They were still able to prepare the food and serve it. But how do they let their customers know they're open? And so we, with an online campaign, offered free banners that said curbside service or we're open. And pushed it through Facebook, pushed it through other social media channels, and we were just overwhelmed with the response. Granted, everybody loves free. Um, that was part <laughs> yeah, of it. Your pricing was right on that. Yeah, my pricing was right. I found the right price point. But just in, in two or three days, we printed 
50, 60 or banners for 50, 60 restaurants. And I think, again, the most remarkable thing I took away from that is how grateful these restaurant owners were. They did come back once they started uh needing our services for menus or more banners in that and actually turned into um, paying jobs. So, you know, that was great. And the third part, as you pointed out, was probably the biggest success, accidentally, I, I guess, was the reselling and the decorating of face masks. We started, I, I, the first set of face masks we did was um, an order of six. No, it's an order of 20 for Simmons Bank Arena. They were having a online concert, but they needed to be masked up. So they needed 20 of them. I thought, well, this is cool. We went down on a Saturday and put their logo on 20 face masks. Well, that's kind of fun. And then we said, well, let's see if we can sell a handful of these online. So we did a a smiley face. We did cat whiskers and a couple others and put them online. And (laughs) the interest was really amazing. It just started building. We said, wait, what's going on here? And then we partnered with Arkansas Cloth Mask in town and started reselling to some of their larger accounts, and it just took off. And if it were not for the uh, mask business during the summer and late fall, uh, we really would have been struggling more than than most companies were. That really turned out to be be quite a boom for us. And you know, was it marketing? Somewhat. Was it lucky? Yeah, I think I think in that regard we were lucky. But we again we had the foresight and the ability to change quickly. With Michael's help, we added all these items online so we could market better online and, more importantly, accept payment online and become – that's where we became more of a, a B2C company than we had been in the past. Yeah, so you could say that in in light of the pandemic, you were actually not slow to respond. No. In light of that, <laughs> I was not slow to re- respond, which is probably one of the uh, first times or few times we can say that. But that brings us to the question, Mark. How did we come about Question mark. getting to this point with the uh, podcast, and why is it called Slow to Respond? <laughs> well, um, there's, a, there's a, a, a pretty self-deprecating reason for you and I to call it Slow to Respond, and then there's you know what happens in the marketplace too many times that's a, that's a slow to respond. Um, for you and me, especially for me, I think, and, and is how Paul and I know one another, for, for you, dear listener. Um, is that somehow or another he and I have both managed to get wrapped up in the world of CrossFit, which if you don't know what that is, just look it up and look at all the amazing athletes that do it and what crazy shape they're in. Imagine the exact opposite of that, and you'll know what Paul and I look like, So, um, which is why this podcast is audio only. Um, but uh, we, we, both, we both do CrossFit um, at Omnis CrossFit in, uh, in West Little Rock on Colonel Glenn. So free plug, Brady. Congratulations. Um, and uh, it's, it's actually, it's fun. We, but it, if we didn't like it, we wouldn't have been doing it for as long as we're doing it. So it is, it is really good and it's a great workout and all that stuff. But in the CrossFit world, you are, um, everybody's ranked. Basically there's a thing called a whiteboard and your performance each day is shown. It's all in apps. Now it used to be on physical whiteboards. Um, but it's all in apps and you can kind of see, Oh, how did you do relative to the class? And it's not, it's not really very seriously competitive, but everybody, you know, if you see your name on a board, you want to try to do the best you can. Well, (laughs) Paul and I are in a pretty locked in position. Um, as, as I say, you can't compute an average without a bottom. So that's the value I provide to uh, to, 
<laughs> we're we're comfortable world. in our position. We know our place in CrossFit, and yes. we're just happy they made a place for us. Yes, I'm 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 glad they still let me in, but I absolutely know where my performance level is going to be. Um, they're and not putting us on any posters, but that's okay. And as you pointed out, most of the whiteboard rankings are based on either the amount of time it takes you to do something, the amount of weight you lift, or the amount of repetitions you do during this time. And so it's safe to say that in almost all of those categories, we tend to be a little bit slow to respond. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. I will get but it done. It may take we'll a get it done. I'll get that's it done right. fast no matter how long it takes. There, there's no <laughs> other points for being faster than it's, exactly. It's, at the end of the day, they say you feel good because you completed a workout. There you go. That we are the we are the poster children for participation trophies in that's right. uh, that's CrossFit. Right. Um, but so we that's started. The, that's the CrossFit part. What's the business yep. reason why we named it Slow to Respond, Paul? Well, you and I both like marketing, or we wouldn't be doing it. I think we and I enjoy it. We have fun with it, and we like to brainstorm and see ways that you and I can do better for each other. We can do better for our clients. And we have a snarky side to us. And we like to see, we're easy to uh, make commentary on marketing that maybe does not work. But one of my pet peeves in the marketing world is when you reach out to people through your various channels. And we have so many channels, whether it's email, phone call, direct mail, the social media channels, when people don't respond, that, that's frustrating as a marketer, right? That's our whole point is to get people to notice us, to engage us, and we love the immediate, immediate response. And so we, when people are slow to respond, that bothers me, and I'm sure it bothers you as a marketer, because that's contrary to our goals in life. We need to get the response. That's what drives the, the, the lead funnel to get revenues growing. So we had the idea of let's look at ways that small businesses primarily do their marketing, the campaigns they run, the techniques they use, and let's look at ways that maybe, because it was implemented, why these were slow to respond, or on the great success stories, why they were not. But that's that's how we came with the inception of this name, Slow to Respond. We want to look for ways, whether it's our marketing, our clients' marketing, or other folks out there, what they're doing that maybe we're missing, or the reasons we're seeing why people are slow to respond. Yep, that's exactly right. And it's especially when like I only work with small businesses. I don't and I and generally speaking, we very rarely do any large scale branding type of work. It's 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 very response driven the types of marketing strategies and programs we put in place. It's very strategically driven. Like my first conversation with any client is going to be about who they're targeting, what their unique value is and what their core messages are and then we'll figure out the tactics to get those in front of the right people. But at the end of the day, the action is to elicit a response, right? We are, everything we do is oriented towards generating a phone call, generating a store visit, generating a click. It's, it's some response mechanism that we're out to. So everything we do is very direct marketing, big, big picture direct marketing oriented. So when companies struggle to either increase those response rates or frankly, don't respond when people respond, right? They, the <laughs> phone goes unanswered. The forms go un, <clears throat> excuse me, unresponded to. Somebody asks for information off your website and no information is forthcoming. That's just crazy. Like you, you're really just flushing money when you're doing that. And as a 
marketing consultant for small businesses that spends all my time trying to make sure they're getting a good ROI. That's to, that can be a very um, a very challenging thing to see. Both, you know, I try very hard for it not to happen with my clients, but it does happen. And when I see it in my own experience as a consumer out there in the world, it really it really gets to me. <laughs> so yeah, that was, and we'll uh, talk about those experiences. Drives my too. wife crazy. So I had to talk to Paul because it drives my wife crazy. She needed me to talk to somebody else. We were an outlet for each other. Yes. But we want to have some fun with this too. Like I said, we may poke some fun at some marketing initiatives, but we're not above poking fun at ourselves, right? We want to. Absolutely. We want to have, we are, we want to have uh, a little bit of fun with this. Yeah. You. The snark factor is probably going to be pretty high, just because that's sort of our personality. So that's. Uh, and our, and our wives get tired of us being that way to them, so we have to talk to each other. <laughs> we have to talk to each other. And my, my children are way past hearing it from me. So oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They're, they're done with that. And, you know, I've heard that this podcast thing might work out someday. It's, like, it's, these, it's these are evidently these, – these might stick around. So let's be slow to respond <laughs> yeah. and, you know. Yes. So, yeah, the irony of it is we know podcasts. We're probably on the tail end of popularity of this. It's been going on even pre-pandemic, but they really took off. And so Mark and I talked about this, but uh, as we're both, and as we mentioned, we're both somewhat slow to respond. Here we are probably three months after our initial, yeah, we're going to do this, <laughs> recording our first podcast. Yes, do as we say, not as we do sometimes. But we need your help. So we're, you know, it's, we, we don't... Um, we don't have any monopoly on the truth. We don't have all the ideas. So, and it's as much fun as Paul and I have just talking to one another. It's a lot more fun if we're helping you when we do it. So we want input from you guys. So uh, help. What would you like to hear about on a small business marketing podcast? What are your biggest marketing challenges? Let us know. Yeah. What What keeps you up at night thinking, how am I going to drive leads or revenues to my business? How am I going to market my business to continue overall growth? We want to hear that from you. Yeah, and if you are uh, if you've got a, a face made for radio like Paul and I, just kidding. Um, but you want another outlet to promote your business and to talk about how you got into being a small business owner and and where that's taken you in your life. Maybe you would, should have us interview you. So if you want to be interviewed on this podcast, we'd love to have another voice besides ours on here. We do have a few folks that have. Uh, committed to um, helping us out with this. We'll once we get f- firm commitment from them, they may have backed up again. This was six months ago when they said they would do it, but we we do look forward to having some guests on here. Um, another thing is what we want to hear from, and what we look like to look for is marketing gone bad. What what do you see in a marketing world or, or marketing campaign? Do you makes you say what were they thinking? And we want to look at that, too, because we've asked those questions. Again, we have, well, I'm not going to speak for Mark. I have implemented some of those campaigns that I know people have said, what were they thinking? We, we will share some of that with you, too. Uh, yes, we will. I was actually sharing, rec- recalling one of those stories in a conversation earlier today. It was kind of funny <laughs> now that I think about it. I'll have to write that down and keep it for a, a But our failures, episode. we present our failures only so our audience can learn and improve from them, right? Yes, how to not do... <laughs> How to not do and not make the mistakes that we have made. Most of them on our own behalf, rarely for a client. We do those really, really well. Just yes, so you know. yes, exactly. It's, we experiment. Flawless. We take. We always take one for the team, right? So <laughs> the same. The same in CrossFit. <laughs> yeah, but in the meantime, we do have some topics that we do plan to talk about. We certainly want your your input, um, but uh, you know, we'll probably talk about some topics, including you know. What makes for effective direct mail these days? Does direct mail still work? And, and what do you need to do to have a very effective direct mail campaign? 
Hey, is is direct mail still alive? Is print still alive? The answer is I know yes. Somebody, by the I know way. somebody who would love to talk about that. So. <laughs> what else should we talk about, Paul? I think we want to talk about you know all the channels. You know, how does a small business on a limited budget access the different channels, or which channels should they focus on? Is it social media? Is it email? Is it direct marketing? So we've got to address those and see how you should really look at social media for your business and what works best for you and how to better optimize that. Yeah, and, and probably 90% of the new potential new client conversations I get into when, we, when I sit down with them for the first conversation, there's usually some very specific, very tactically oriented pain that they're feeling, right? I can't get Facebook to work for my business or I can't find right. my business on Google or... Um, I haven't updated my website in five years or 10 years or whatever it is. You know, what do I do about that? And the the answer to that is m- maybe we need to do all of that. Maybe we need, but the real answer from my point of view is we have to back up and talk about your strategy, right? Where are you trying to go? Who are you trying to reach? Not everyone with a pulse is not a target market. That is not, nope. that is not your target market. Um, and if you doubt that, just think about who your bad customers are and whether or not you'd want more of those. If the answer is no, I don't want more of those. Well, then everyone with a pulse is not your target market. Um, what does go into an effective website? How do you get Google to recognize your business and show it um, when people search for the questions that it, you've got the answers to? Um, so we'll dive into a lot of that stuff um, and 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 hopefully give you some very practical tips and advice that you can use. You know, it you're not going to solve it all in a day, so we'll we'll bite it off a chunk at a time to help you get better. I think, you know, Mark, when we talked about this, we have some specific topics we may look into. I know one that comes to mind every day when I drive down Maumelle Boulevard is uh, food truck marketing. What are the (laughs) best practices and not so good practices of food truck marketing? Can I I share one bit of a teaser there? But it's it's one thing that bugs me on what they do and don't (laughs) do. Uh, But there's others. And again, that's the kind of stuff I want to hear from our listeners, too. What what do you see that, why are they doing this, or, man, this really worked? Because I think we, we can learn and share from all of those experiences. Yes, here's here's a quick tip for food trucks. Put a <laughs> sign out front. <laughs> and, don't, and if you are a food truck who relies on drive-by visibility, don't set up on the back of a building. I don't think that would work. But right. it's those insights that we bring to this that's podcast. That's the kind of brilliance that, we, uh, kind of, that we bring and, to the table. And that's where you know you get your money's worth from this podcast. <laughs> and we might even uh, get into some some things we see that uh, not necessarily controversial, but you're just kind of like, what were they thinking sort of a stuff. Yeah. And <laughs> not to point out anybody in particular, but if a, a small business owner were to comment on certain social media posts, uh, making fun of an entire class of people and then are surprised that their business feels some backlash from that. You know. I mean, that's a hypothetical. Hypothetically I don't, anybody, I don't think anybody would do that. Nobody would but, ever uh, really no, do that's that. That's a good but, point. You know, it might happen. But we will deal with things like, you know, why reviews matter? <laughs> and do yeah. those five stars yeah. really do matter? They, Does anybody do read people that? read reviews? <laughs> and how to, uh, how to respond to negative reviews. Yeah. And when you cannot be slow to respond on something like that. So. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you got to get out of your own way. That's right. But, that, but anyway, you know, that's an overall view of what we hope to accomplish with this. And again, we want to hear from you. We want to have fun along the way. And we want to explain the uh, benefits and the uh, disadvantages of being slow to respond. Absolutely. So if uh, somebody wants to shoot us an idea, how would they reach you, Paul? 
they would probably email me, first of all, at pstrack at customxm.com. That's the easiest way, P-S-T-R-A-C-K at customxm.com. And you? It's Mark with a K, Mark at fortunemarketinginc.com. So fortunemarketinginc.com is the best way to reach me. It's fortunate that you have such a memorable name. <laughs> oh, I will say, I'm going to tell you right now, listeners, there's going to be a lot of puns on this, and almost none of them will come from me. Paul Strack is the pun king. Oh, he's got to do something. That's the lowest form of, of humor, they say. So, In the meantime, thank you all so much for tuning in to this first episode. We look forward to bringing you a lot more, and we'd love to hear your ideas. And uh, no matter what... If nothing else, don't be slow to respond. Slow to respond.